Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and we are inching our way towards Thanksgiving, November 15th. Oh, my goodness. So, PK, how are you doing tonight? Doing just fine, waiting for our nice rain to get here. We're supposed to get rain for the next couple of days. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> yes, that is a surprise. Goodness. Yes, it is. Oh, yes, my, well. We've got a great guest tonight. Mark Ireland that is with do. us. He's a psychic medium. He's a great author. We're going to be talking about the soul. And he has a fascinating background. So in just a few minutes, we're going to bring him on. And we're we're going to get right to it because there's so much to talk about with Mark. So before we do that, PK, what do you got for us? What are the numbers up to? Well, I want everybody to remember it's a nine month. Ending old things to make way for the new. There's a couple of weeks left in this month, but we've got the holidays about us, people out shopping or whatever. Be careful. Hold tight. Just know that it's that time to wrap up and get rid of people, places, and things that don't fit in your agenda right now. Let them go because you've got some great stuff coming. So take the rest of this month to tidy up what you've got to make sure that you've got room for all these great things that are going to be coming. Wow. We need great things. Oh, God, yes, So we this do. is how, sure. how we're going to – are we going to end the year with that then? Great things? Good. Well, we're going to be at – December is going to be a one month all about fresh starts and new beginnings. So this is a good oh. time to get rid of anything that doesn't fit so that you've got your closet cleaned out and ready to go with good stuff. We've just been carrying too much right. garbage because of what's going on worldwide, emotionally and physically. Everybody's burned out and worn out. Just thought yes. it's a chance to recoup a little bit. So well, I'm all fact, for that. I'll be taking some questions next week if anyone has anything specific they want to. Just send us a note with their name and their birthday. Okay. All right, and our emails are on the website, supernaturalgirlswithaz.com, and mm-hmm. you can also reach PK at patriciakirkman.com. So send in your questions, and PK will answer them. So that's great. What a nice, generous offer. And I wanted to just also put this out there because I don't know what's going on with time. Now, last week we had a discussion with an author about time travel. It was really mm-hmm. fascinating. <clears throat> However, I have to say that I have found it challenging to keep track of the, easy, the things that should be easy, like what day it is. I <laughs> really have to I need to know, be audience, is, uh-huh. is anybody else having that same problem? Because, I mean, yesterday I got up really early and I went to – promote the show and get everything set up, and I'm thinking it's Wednesday, and it wasn't <laughs> Wednesday, but it felt like Wednesday, so I went with it, and it wasn't until late in the day when you and I were talking that I finally realized, <laughs> it's not Wednesday, but I went through the whole day thinking it was Wednesday. Now, I'd like to think I'm not the only person with this problem. So if any of you are experiencing these (laughs) time shifts, (laughs) please let me know. Yeah. Think in terms of a lot of the Patricia's game with the fact that this month represents everything that's been going on all year. 
So everything is out of cattywampus. There's no norm right now. And then, of course, what's yeah. going on in the world on top of it, we don't want to know the norm right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is no norm. Well, there was no – so Tuesday became Wednesday, but here we are on Wednesday. Okay, so you let me know. So, anyways, also, everybody, just wanted to remind you to go to our homepage. We've got some great um, health devices there, the energy machine. We have Dr. Weber's lasers. We have some wonderful supplements. And you get a discount on all of these things. We don't sell them, but we made arrangements with the company so that you can get a discount if you purchase from our website. So go ahead and take a look there. We are firm believers that you should take your health into your own hands. And we're always looking for new products to support that. We're watching the collapse of our medical system. Every time either one of us, you or I, turn around, somebody's got another story to tell, which is quite unpleasant about our medical system. So do the best you can to make good lifestyle choices. And take a look at the page, the homepage, see if there's anything there that you feel would support your best health so tonight yes yes i want to be healthy it's better than the alternative so i'll take all the help i can get (laughs) so our guest tonight is quite amazing mark ireland is the co-founder of helping parents heal an organization with more than 24,000 members that assist bereaved parents worldwide. He has participated in mediumship research studies conducted by the University of Arizona and the University of Virginia, and he currently operates a medium certification program. He is the author of Soul Shift and a brand new book, the persistence of the soul and he lives in camas washington and he's here with us tonight mark welcome to the show hey i'm happy to be here patricia thanks for having me great to have you here and yeah we want to know all about you because you are so interesting so please start at the beginning tell us how you got into all of this Well, um, growing up, I really wasn't into it that much in the beginning because uh, I grew up with a father who was a pretty prominent psychic and medium who uh, was well-known pretty much from the 1950s through the 80s, probably with the 60s and 70s being kind of the pinnacle for his career. Um, And so I grew up in a household where dad always knew what was going on. You couldn't get away with anything. Um, I'll give you a couple stories as examples, like, well, actually, before I was even born, my, my mother and father had just recently been married, and she was working on being a vegetarian and had been successful for a couple of months. And one day she was craving a burger, and she left the house. She had her burger and came back home. And when my dad came home that evening, the first words out of his mouth were, so, Shirley, did you enjoy your hamburger today? <laughs> so, uh, that's when my oh, no. older Poor brother, Shirley. who was 10 years older than I was, uh, you know, he would always figure out what was going on with him, and got, he had somebody buying him beer when he was underage, so my dad got that stopped, and he, my brother would try, go drag racing, so he'd deal with that. So it was just that kind of a household. But more importantly, um, I saw my dad do demonstrations, both psychic-type demonstrations in secular venues, but also in his own church, which was a non-denominational, real progressive kind of church where um, spirit messages would come through. And they weren't just fluffy things like, oh, grandma's here and she loves you. They were highly specific with first names, sometimes last names, uh, hobbies that the person had, foods that they liked, uh, things about conversations they'd had with the people that he gave the messages to. So from a young age, I saw that and it occurred to me like, wow, there really is more. There, you know, uh, there is life after death. We're not just a physical body and a brain. Some part of us does go on, so I had a lot of um, encouragement from that. I guess a lot, a, a lack of fear of death as a result of that. So as opposed to a lot of folks who are just brought up in a you know religious home, relying on blind faith, I had more kind of a knowledge, you know, uh, firsthand experience that gave me that sense of confidence in that. So, but despite that, 
um, you know, who wants to be their parent? So my dad always yeah, said exactly. that I was psychic. He thought I was very psychic, but, you know, I didn't see it that way. I mean, I had some episodes here and there, instances that were pretty, uh, you know, startling. Uh, one, for example, when I was 18, I was dating a girl, and uh, I had a dream one night that she was seeing another guy, but I, for some odd reason, I knew his first and last name and what he looked like. So the next day I had mentioned the dream to her, and she says, well, tell me about it. And I'm like, no, nah, it's just a dream. And she goes, please. And so I said, okay, well, I was jealous because you were dating this other guy behind my back. His name was Bob Dooley, and he looked about this tall. He had this color <laughs> hair and this build. And she's like, I dated a guy named Bob Dooley in Kansas that looked just like that. So, you know, that was kind of one of those things. But they were very sporadic, you know, here or there, mm-hmm. not kind of mm-hmm. consistent. So, um, and my dad and I were two different people. He was, you know, I, I'm more pragmatic and practical. He was more kind of out there and putting his neck on the line all the time and living for the moment more. So I ended up, you know, doing the conventional thing, going to the university. I went to ASU. I got a degree. I got married at a young age. We had a couple of kids, two boys. And so I was just cruising along doing the conventional career path, life, business world thing. And uh, was always proud of my dad and always never lost that spiritual side of myself, but just wasn't as engaged with it, I guess I would say. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was, you know, and then my dad passed in 1992 in January. So it was, you know, um, 12 years after that, my youngest son, Brandon, passed unexpectedly while uh, hiking the mountains, uh, the McDowell Mountains behind our home in Scottsdale, Arizona. And that shifted me back into the reality, the sh- you know, of losing a child and going through having your world mm-hmm. turned upside down. But I had that, my childhood recollections and what I'd seen all those years and experienced, you know, as something to rely on to help me um, know that there was more and to to cope a little better than most parents probably would in that situation. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the first things I mentioned to PK earlier, my Although my father had been gone for 12 years at that point, uh, my uncle Robert, who lived in Tucson, uh, was still around, and he had similar abilities to my father. And so I talked to him shortly after Brandon had passed. We didn't know the cause of death. And he said, well, Mark, I'm so sorry you're going through this. Let me know if there's anything I can do for you. And I said, well, if you could get any kind of message or connection, I'd really appreciate it. And so um, we hung up. Just three days later, I was in the mortuary making arrangements, and we connected by cell phone. And my uncle said, hey, Mark, I wanted to share something with you. Um, you know, um, I tried to connect last night. I couldn't get anything. But this morning I was doing the morning meditation, as I always do, and your father came to me. And he looked just like he always had. Uh, he had visited me for, before since he passed, but it had been quite a while. But he w- wanted to let you know that he was there when Brandon Passed, and that he was helped him adjust. Brandon was a little confused, but your dad helped him understand what was happening. And um, he passed along that Brandon wanted you to know you're the best parents he ever could have had, which is the warm, fuzzy thing we like to hear. But then along with that, we got the evidence. He said, um, your dad said Brandon's death was caused by a lack of oxygen in his bloodstream that caused his heart to fail. So two days later, I got the autopsy results uh, directly speaking to the physician mm-hmm. who had conducted it, and she said, your son's death was caused by a severe asthma attack that caused his blood oxygen levels to drop to a point causing cardiac arrest. So oh I actually got gosh. the cause of death from my, from my uncle two days before the autopsy was even done, and we, had, oh. we didn't know the cause of death before that. So that was kind oh of the goodness. jolt that pushed me back into my dad's field. That's an incredible jolt, Mark. My yes, God. My goodness. How old was your son? He was 18 at the time. Yeah. 18. Uh, and oddly, earlier that day, I um, I asked him what he was up to, and he told me he was going to hike the mountain. And he went up that mountain all the time with friends. This time he said he was going to go to the top, which wasn't a big concern. But a little later, I got kind of this premonition feeling and an overwhelming sense of concern and I tried mm-hmm. to talk him out of going, but he said, Dad, we're going. Just like, stop stop your worrying, you know. But lo and behold, yeah. that was just a different day, and it was the toughest thing any parent could, could go through. But 
by the same token, I never would have taken this path, probably written these books or co-founded an organization that's helping so many people today if, if that hadn't happened. And really it started with that and then the journey that I went on that was detailed in my first book, Soul Shift, which is kind of me re-exploring my dad's field and kind of on my own path in my own way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, did your son have asthma, or was this something that just came out of the blue this one time? He had asthma, but it was never that severe. And he had a he yeah. had an inhaler. Um, so he, you know, his best buddy was with him and tried to revive him. Um, and he he said that the symptoms were unlike any asthma attack he'd ever noticed, you know, with Brandon before. Uh, Brandon did say that he he felt like his heart was beating rapidly and his arms were kind of numb. But he he didn't really say that he was having uh, real difficulty breathing. He did, you know, he had a normal inhaler, but it did nothing to change uh, things. So, um, yeah, it was unusual in that, you know, he he had asthma, but it was fairly mild. uh, So this was just really beyond anything we could have imagined. Jeez. Yeah, so it was under control, and he did have his inhaler, but that didn't do any good. Wow. What a shock. You must have felt shock over this so unexpected your son being so yeah. young and also yeah, absolutely. the fact that he had he had gone up this mountain so many times before it wasn't like there was something uh new right so he had right. done this no. hike previously without issue yeah and you know i the way i look at it now today i guess maybe it was just his time as, as hard as that would be for me to accept when it happened you know um we all are only here for so long, and I think we have an expectation that there's a certain order we're going to go in. It doesn't always work out exactly that way. No, it does not. Um, so, yeah, would I like to have him back in, in a physical form, living his life with us? Of course I would. But, yeah. you know, you can't, you can't really change the way things happen, and if you want to call it destiny or whatever, right. things just happen and you have to deal with it and, and go forward. And, you know, if there is a positive to come from it, it's that I have been able to, share experiences uh, with other people that have helped them progress who have, have had mm-hmm. kids pass. I probably had a number of people write me after who read one of my books and said that, that, you know, they had contemplated suicide before that and that it helped them have enough hope that they didn't chose not to do that. And then with the helping parents heal organization too, you know, we, uh, it, it just ballooned. I could touch on how that started too later if you'd like, but we had, you know, we've got 26,000 members worldwide now, 175 oh affiliate chapters, and we have yeah. our second ever conference in 2022 in Phoenix area. We drew 900 people total, um, and we're going to do it again in 2024, and we anticipate 1,000, which is really the, capa- the full capacity of the hotel. Mm-hmm. And in that, ven- in that venue, um, I had another half dozen people come up to me, and I don't know if they were talking about the books that I wrote that they read or the organization or a combination, but they said, I had a half a dozen people say, I wanted to tell you, you saved my life. Thank you. So, you know, when mm-hmm. you're told that by somebody, you know, that, that, that what you did was, was important and made a difference, you know? Well, you're really doing the work of angels with your group because I can tell you from my experience as a therapist so many years ago that there is nothing worse than the death of a child nothing yeah and it's it's just so many people never can recover but um it also tends to tear families apart so the parents get a divorce and that makes everything so much harder so what you're doing and what you're offering to people is so important so thank you for what you're doing Absolutely. I have to give credit to Elizabeth Boyson because she's the co-founder and she's the president of the organization. And she and a woman named Irene Bubalitis do all the work on the operational level day to day. I'm the chairman of the board, but that's more of an oversight role. I'm still working full time, so I just don't have that kind of time to commit to the organization, but I am involved. Uh, but she, she's really the day-to-day backbone of, of the organization along with Irene. Um, and even how we how the whole thing came together is rather interesting. It really goes back to uh, 2009. I was um, doing a workshop to promote my first book, and um, during a break, a woman came up to me, 
and her name is Suzanne Wilson. She said, hey, I just moved here from Florida to Arizona, and I came to this event because I wanted to meet like-minded people. And then she mentioned to me that she had come into contact with a woman whose son had also died on a mountain, although it was the Himalayas. He was uh, apparently a student at the University of Arizona, and there was a student trip to the Himalayas, and they took them up the bus up the mountain too fast, like there's a limit for how many feet per day you're supposed mm-hmm. to go up. They exceeded yeah. that, and he ended up dying of altitude sickness. So oh. I said to Suzanne, I said, well, if you see the woman again, please give her a copy of my book, and here's, um, here's contact information for her. She can reach out to me if she wants to. It was no longer than a day or two later I get a call from Elizabeth. She says, I read your book in one sitting. Uh, I want to meet you and your wife. And so we got together pretty quickly, and she and she said that uh, she had started a, at the time it was just a Facebook group for bereaved parents called Parents United in Loss, and she mm-hmm. was going to have her first ever in-person meeting. And she asked me if I'd be her first speaker, and I said, sure. So uh, that happened a few weeks later. I went to this, and she had her first meeting. There's probably 30 or 40 people there, and it, it went really well. Then she started having these meetings like every month, and I, I'd go – when I could. Um, and then now fast forward to late 2011, um, I was leaving a job, a corporate job, and kind of thinking about what I wanted to do next. And I was, uh, I talked to Tina Powers, another Tucson resident who's a medium friend of mine who's really, really gifted. She actually mm-hmm. used to be a, a news anchor there in Tucson, but she found right. a real calling was uh, doing the mediumship. So that's what she does now. And she mm-hmm. said, you know, Mark, I think you're real purpose in life is to help other people who parents who have been through the same thing you have maybe you could think about starting an organization of some sort to do that ah. I said okay and I kind of mulled that over and then I thought you know Elizabeth's got a good thing going here but it's just one group one location and you know she doesn't have a website she doesn't have a newsletter and what if I approached her and uh, see if she wanted a partner so I called her up and I said, hey, would you be interested in partnering with me to blow this thing out to something bigger to help more people? You know, what we could do is blueprint what you do at your meetings and then then share that out in other cities and other locations for people who would want to have their own groups in other locations. And, um, and then I'll help you set up a website and we'll get a, le- a newsletter going so we can get this thing churning, you know, on a, uh, more frequently for more people. And she says, oh, I'd love that. And I said, and maybe – Consider a different name, something like Helping Parents Heal. And she says, oh, I love mm. that name. She says, I didn't like the name Parents United and Lost because it sounded like a downer to me. And, and um, it's just exploded since then. The main reason is because there are other bereaved parents groups out there, but we're the only one that allows open discussion of spiritual experiences and afterlife mm-hmm. evidence. And that's a big, that's makes a big difference, you know. Um, some of the other groups, you know, we end up getting people from the other groups that come to us and say, you know, I've been going to their meetings for 10 years, and, and really people just keep going over the same ground over and over, how upset they are, how mad they are, how hurt they are, and they're in the same place they were 10 years ago. Wow. And to me, you know, that's partially because they lack that hope element. There's no discussion about, you know, that they still exist, you know. Maybe – it's right. not the same. Maybe it's different, but they, 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 they still exist, and you can still have a form of a relationship with them mm-hmm. today. So um, that's a big differentiator. Uh, you know, I think for well-rounded healing, there are a lot of factors that come into play, and therapy is definitely valuable. Um, but, you know, in addition to that, I think support from a, a good family and friends, if you have that, not everybody does, but if you do, that's a plus. <laughs> and for them to come to understand how to converse with you in a helpful way. A lot of parents want to talk about their child who has passed, but yet friends and family are afraid to go there. They try and change the subject, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Also, meeting people who have been through the same thing and developing relationships with them. And we can help with that because we have all these members now, you know. So you meet and you have camaraderie with them. In fact, at that conference that I mentioned, that uh, the employees of the hotel were definitely afraid that it was going to be a real bummer and real downer of a group because, you know, they heard that all these people have lost kids. And then by the end of it, they're like, you are the best group we've ever had. It was so uplifting and so, upbeat, you know, and part of that was not only because we had some phenomenal speakers and presenters, um, but we also had the opportunity for people to make new friends and, and share. And 
it was very uplifting for them. And I think, right. you know, when people get to a certain point and they can provide service in some way, whether it's working at a soup kitchen or joining a foundation that does something mm-hmm. positive, whatever, that comes back to help you too. I think another factor is um, to let go of feelings of responsibility. Uh, a lot of parents will blame themselves, you know, the whole feelings of guilt, like, oh, I could have done this, I could have done that. Just like me, even with Brandon, I thought, you know, I could have lied to him that day because I knew there was something he wanted to do and say, oh, I've arranged this for you, Brandon, it was to meet this musician from a rock band that he liked. But then I thought, you know, that, that's being manipulated, and he's 18 years old. I couldn't really do that. And to think back that way, is just there's no constructive element to it. You have to just let that go. Um, most parents couldn't have changed the outcome, no matter what they think. And I think an, another part of that is forgiving other people who you hold accountable. I've seen parents who are still so angry at someone they blame for that, whether it's because of an accident or a doctor or whatever, um, that's just hurting you, you know. I know it's not easy to forgive necessarily. I'm just saying that it does hurt you when you hold that, hold on to that and can't release that at some point. And then I think the last piece is this afterlife evidence piece. It's the hope piece. To have that's a huge difference between just trying to go about this as so, you know, like we're biological robots or something and you're just trying to right. treat, you know, the body, you know, instead of the heart and the soul. Well, there's so much to the healing process with this, but just the fact that you survived it intact mm-hmm. uh, it gives other people hope, I would imagine, right? Just knowing your story and knowing what you've been through and here you are today, I mean, that gives everybody that's gone through this hope that they can get through it too. But it's a terrible yeah, and thing. There's so, many, I mean, there's so many members of our organization that have gotten through it. I'm still married. In fact, our marriage got stronger. Our relationship got even stronger afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I guess you could go the other way, but we actually went that way. And I think part of it's because we didn't blame each other. And we also had that hopefulness uh, because of our understanding that there's more to this than just physical existence. But you're, you're right. I think seeing a role model, if you will, or somebody who's, wow, you guys got there. So maybe it's possible for me to get there too. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a big help. Gosh, this is inspiring. And then your work as a psychic medium, how does this, your talent, uh, work alongside with this? So I think there's a a little bit of a misunderstanding there in terms of what you were given in my bio, maybe, because I'm not a practicing psychic or medium. Now, I will say that I do believe I have abilities to some extent, and they do mm-hmm. pop up sporadically. It was really my father who did that, you know, as first and foremost. What, you know, when I drew back into this field, the way it happened was more a case of uh, wanting connection with my son and wanting communication. So that's really how it started. And the first thing that I did was, even before that message from my uncle, I went into a darkened room, which was a walk-in closet, and I tried to meditate quietly, and I wanted a connection with my son, a direct connection, not through a medium or anything. So while sitting there in a meditative state, uh, an image of his face scrolled by, and it was very joyful, happy-looking, surrounded with a, just an aura of joy. So I thought, oh, that feels good. But then right after that, there was a symbol that passed in front of me that looked like a cross with an oval loop at the top. Now, I'd seen those, but I didn't know the meaning. And I am a little left brain, so that analytical side of me, I had to go to Google it and find out, well, what is that? And then I discovered it's an Ankh, which is the oldest cross Mm -hmm. of human history, about 5,000 years old, uh, an Egyptian symbol, and the lower portion of the cross representing physical life, the oval loop at the top representing eternal life. So what I got was a coded message telling me my son was joy in eternal life, um, whereas if I already knew what that symbol meant, I would have probably said, oh, my subconscious gave me that to make me feel better. But it didn't. Mm-hmm. I had to go research it. So that was one of the very first things. And then my uncles. And then the next thing that happened was about three weeks later, I was uh, watching the Channel 12 News, the NBC affiliate in Phoenix. And they had a clip on a, a research study being done at the University of Arizona at the time uh, where they were testing mediums under controlled conditions. 
Mm-hmm. So for this particular one, they had the medium Alison Dubois, who at that time was relatively unknown, later became famous because of the network show Medium. She was yeah. um, separated from the sitters and had to give messages to the sitters about their deceased loved ones. And then they debriefed with them at the end. And I was impressed because what she gave was a lot of specific information. It wasn't anything general. And they, they confirmed the accuracy of all this. And I thought to myself, wow, I'd love to get a reading from her, and I'd love to be in that lab someday. Little did I know both things would later happen. So the the very next day, I get a call from a man that was friends with my father. His name's Jerry Conser. So he says to me, and he was calling from Dallas, so he didn't even know about this news clip or anything. And he says, uh, hey, Mark, I know what you've been through, and I know someone might be able to help you. Her name's Allison Dubois, and here's a phone number you can call to get an appointment with her. So I could see the synchronicity of that event and that my dad probably was trying to help help me out there. So I did get an appointment, but she was even then very well. She was uh, had a long wait list because she was uh, well regarded and she had a following at the time, even before the show medium. So um, that happened in August of the year. And um, so couple interesting things, tidbits from that. When I did go to see her, two weeks before I saw her, um, a man that knew my father gave me a box. I opened the box up, and there was a bunch of eight and a half by 11 typewritten pages. And then the cover page, it said, Your Psychic Potential, A Guide to Psychic Development by Richard Ireland, 1973. I'm like, what's this? And he goes, it's a book that your dad put together, had put together years ago but it was never published. And I'm like, well, how did you get it? He says, well, you were out of state at the time, but your dad, just before his passing, gave it to me for safekeeping. I said, that's been 12 years. What, why are you giving this to me now? He says, I just feel like I'm supposed to. I'm like, okay. Hmm. So I took the, took the book with me. Two weeks later, I have mm-hmm. the reading with Alison Dubois. One of the first things she says to me is, I have your father here, and he's showing me a book, but I feel it's his book, and he's handing it to you for you to take forward. Does that make any sense to you? I'm like, yeah, I think I get that. <laughs> so I actually did eventually, I eventually got the book published too in 2011. So it's out there. Um, and uh, I wrote a forward for it. But during that meeting, oh, uh, reading with nice. Alison Wash, there was a number of other great validations. She, one of my wife and I had just had our 25th anniversary shortly before that. And she didn't know anything really about me. All she knew is that I had a psychic father. She knew nothing mm-hmm. else. And, and she said, well, your son wants to congratulate you on your 25th anniversary, which had just happened six weeks ago, so that was pretty cool. She also described, um, she said, I feel uh, tightness in my chest, uh, like I'm drowning, like uh, I feel like I'm drowning. Well, the autopsy physician um, had told me that Brandon's death, uh, when, when he had a severe, what he had happened only occurs in cases of drownings and severe asthma attacks where the lungs expand to the point of nearly touching in the middle in an effort to capture more oxygen. So Allison actually physically felt, you know, that sense of drowning, which was essentially identical to the Mm -hmm. same condition that Brandon had. Um, She shared a number of other great validations as well. Um, I'm trying to see, think uh, what I've got here. Yeah. Uh, she shared my wife's name, which she didn't know, and, and my uh, and my um, sister-in-law's name, and some other details. I just don't have it all in front of me right now. But and I'm going yeah, back to yeah, the no, archives quite yeah. a place here. Um, but the, no, Alice give is you quite well known happened. for her, yeah, her abilities. Yeah, but when let me yeah, ask just, you, as you're, you're sharing these, yes, she yes, has and a podcast too. Um, I was just on it. Oh no, kidding! Great. Yeah. So. You know, I love that you're sharing these because I would imagine with every single thing she shared that was so right on, it made you feel better and better. So was there anything else that she told you as a message from your son that made you feel good? There was just so many things. And, again, this was back in 2004, so I can't remember all the Mm. details. Those Mm -hmm. are a couple of the highlights. But I ended up getting four readings that were chronicled in that first book. That was the first of them. But what was really interesting was the overlap on information between them and how consistent a lot of it was. Now, each one kind of had some specialty of its own that was really something uh, amazing. 
but a lot of them had similar things. Uh, for example, now this is something that can't be proven, but that my son had a, <clears throat> a small dog on the other side. So if I hear that once, I think, okay, maybe he got a dog, you know, after he passed, or it was an old dog that we used to have or whatever. But it was mentioned in each reading, small, and in this case specified a small dog. So that was interesting. Um, but uh, uh, And I'll come back to the readings in a second because I could share some other phenomenal things from those. But I think one of the, one of the direct communication things we had beyond that that was one of the most remarkable things involved my wife and experience she had. So <clears throat> go back to two weeks after Brandon passed. The very first intuitive I spoke to um, gave me a reading. She wasn't really a full-fledged medium. She was more psychic, but she had some mediumship. And she's, I just remember her saying, within six months, Brandon will appear to you at the side of your bed. Okay? So six months later, mm-hmm. we're going to go on a cruise and it's to celebrate Brandon's high school graduation. Well, since Brandon couldn't physically go with us, we took our older son, Stephen, and uh, Brandon's best buddy, Stu, had, who had tried to revive him on the mountain. And we went for a week. Well, before going, um, we had a musician friend named James Linton. Now, we'd come to know James because he had actually been on the mountain the day of Brandon was there, and he tried to help, but he arrived too late. But after that, we found him because he'd put an entry into an online obituary with his contact information. So during that six-month period, we got to know him, became friends. So here we are, you know, six months later, we're leaving for this cruise, and he asked if he could borrow Brandon's bass guitar. Brandon was a bassist. James is a guitarist, composer, and singer, and he had his own in-home studio, and he was working on some new songs, and he wanted to use the bass, so he said, sure, you can borrow it. So we go on this cruise. The day we come back, my wife is sitting at the foot of our bed, and she suddenly feels Brandon's presence, and she actually sees a shadow figure out of her peripheral vision to her right. Um, so she's, you know, really over the moon about this and tells me about it. I'm, I'm stoked as well. But what made it even more compelling was the very next day we get a call from James, and he says, hey, Susie, I've got something to tell you, but I don't know how to share it. And she thought he was going to say, oh, he, he broke the bass guitar, but that wasn't it at all. He said, well, I was, I was recording this song, and while I was sitting there, I felt another presence in the room with me. And then I saw a shadow figure out of my peripheral vision. And then I saw flashes of white light, mm-hmm. and I thought I was just hallucinating. So I went and got something to eat, and then I took a shower, and I drank some water, and I came back. But each time I came back, it got stronger and stronger. And so finally I said, okay, Brandon, what do you want? And at that point, James said he was guided to redo the lyrics to the song and redo the bass line. And at the end of it, he said, and the song was entitled, is entitled, The Other Side. And he said, this is the best song I've ever written, but I didn't write it. So um, that was a pretty outstanding experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, aside from the song, just having those two people have identical experiences with the shadow figure discernible mm-hmm. through per- peripheral vision back to back without him knowing about her experience. I thought it was pretty phenomenal. That is, that is absolutely. Now for you, when you, you sense him and you see certain things and is it a regular occurrence so that you have a regular communication with him or is this just still like a once in a while thing? It's a once in a while thing. I mean, we're pretty healed. It's been quite a while. Um, I love him. I think of him every day. He's always in my prayers. Um, sometimes I'll miss him and I'll want to connect and I'll, I'll meditate on him and, and I'll feel like a rush come through me. It's more of a feeling, uh, like an electrical charge, if you will. Um, and mm-hmm. I know so many mediums, and I, I know a lot of researchers too, but I know so many mediums, I can see them and they'll just sporadically give me a message. <laughs> uh, yeah. One that just happened a couple <laughs> weeks ago. It was so funny. There's a really outstanding medium in Gilbert, Arizona, named Farrah Gibson. So I was out with her and another medium who's outstanding, uh, Michelle Clare. And um, so I'm just sitting there, and we're talking, and I mentioned to Farrah that Brandon was a bass player. And she says, okay, he's here, and he he tells me that his new bass had one extra string. Well, (laughs) his first bass was a four-string bass. Three months before he passed, he had his 18th birthday, and as a gift, we got him a five-string bass. Uh-huh. So it was a bass with an extra string. Uh-huh. That's a pretty specific random thing. Um, she then she says, your son's, son's showing me taking the strings off the guitar, 
like you're restringing it. Well, just the day before or two days before, I had been in Prescott and met with a friend there who had a Martin guitar, and I play guitar, and she's kind of a beginner at it. And uh, she says, I need a new set of strings for this. So we went to a music store. I bought her a set of strings, and I, I took all the old strings off and restrung the guitar for her. So that's, like, totally random as well. So anyhow, mm-hmm. I get that kind of stuff all the time from other people. So I feel like I'm touched in, you know, to the extent that I need to be. He's doing his work over there, and I'm doing mine here. But uh, we touch base now and then, and uh, I know that if I need him, he's just a thought away. That's wonderful. That's a wonderful feeling. Yeah. How comforting. I think he's inspired me with a couple of songs, too, because I've, I've written and recorded some songs in the studio that were very spiritual in nature. Um, I'm going to have my webmaster link them onto my regular website, but I have a separate website from my music, but there's a, a song called What You Can't See. Anybody could just Google it and say Mark Ireland. Actually, I called the band name the Mark Ireland Experiment, and the song is called What You Can't See. And that's when I felt inspired to write, um, and mm-hmm. I've had pretty positive feedback about that. But anyhow, oh, um, yeah, I've had a pretty it's, multifaceted it's just... life. Yeah. And you decided you didn't want to go full-fledged into psychic, psychic mediumship. Is that a decision you made? Um, here's, here's what I would say about that. For right now, I have so much on my plate. You know, I have a full-time job still. I help with helping parents heal to the extent that I can. Uh, I'm doing the writing. I'm doing these kind of podcasts and, and radio shows and things like that. Um, so I don't know that I have the time or dedication right now. The other part is it's a lot of responsibility. If you're going to read for grieving people, you better be really good. And that's why I put a medium certification program together, and that's another time consumer as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, after my first book came out and um, I started doing talks, people were always coming to me saying, who's a good medium I can go to? Um, so I, at that time, I knew maybe half a dozen, but they were celebrity mediums, and a lot of them had really long wait lists, or, and some charge mm-hmm. a lot, you know? Because they're a demand. So I thought, you know, there have to be really good people out there that are just undiscovered. So um, I consulted Dr. Emily Williams Kelly at the University of Virginia, and I'd participated with her in a mediumship research experiment she had done, and I learned more about her protocols. So I kind of took those as a baseline. Then I reached out to my friend Tricia Robertson, who had been the president of the Scottish Society of Psychical Research and had her kind of go over that with me, and I built my own protocols to develop a, a testing program where anyone who wants to apply can uh, has to go through five blinded readings mm-hmm. via Zoom with no video, and they can't know who they're reading for. They're given the first name of the person when the reading starts, and then the readings are recorded, later transcribed and graded for accuracy, and there's certain uh, parameters of specificity and accuracy they have to achieve to pass. And this started in 2014. I now have 41 certified mediums on the site. I've funded the thing entirely myself. I make no money off of it. Um, it's just a reference tool. It's a, it's a public service thing that I put together for people. And um, that's where that certification program came into being. So, you know, Marvel. could I do this? Do I have the ability? I've had some experiences that tell me maybe, probably, I don't know that it's at my dad's level, um, and it's been very sporadic, but maybe that's because I haven't really focused on doing it full time. But I'd still have to, I'd have to, you know, if I was going to dedicate myself to it, that's pretty much, you know, the end of my taking a journalistic approach to these matters and writing books in the way that I am. It would be from that point on, it would be like, okay, that was what I did then. And now I'm doing this. Um, and I would have to really, I think I'd have to work hard to make sure that I was at a level that I felt like I could really help grieving people and, and not, mm-hmm. um, set them back because a good reading can help, but a bad reading can set people back. If you'd like to hear, I'll give you an example of probably the, the most phenomenal thing that I've ever done in terms of what I consider mediumship. And it tell, it really gave me a feeling for at least for me, how it works or how it would work for others. And I know having talked to mediums and interviewed them, they all get information a little bit different. You know, some get more visual, like visions in their mind's eye. Some mm-hmm. get visions externally. Some hear it in their mind. Some even can occasionally auditorily hear. 
Um, so, and some have clairsentience, you know, they have a, a sense of just like Allison described that feeling in her chest uh, from Brandon's passing. So there's all these different things. But so I was for a three year stint, I'd been invited to go to this spiritualist church in San Francisco to do a talk. It was called the golden gate spiritualist church. It still exists, but um, it was founded in 1924 by a woman named Florence Becker, who by all accounts had abilities very similar to my father, which is, you know, really at the top of the line. And so she founded it in 24 and she passed away in 1970, but the church still went on. So um, I would go there for this three-year period um, to do a talk, and I brought along Tina Powers, the medium friend of mine that I mentioned earlier, and she would do readings for the congregation. So this particular time, she was kind of bugging me, saying, Mark, I think you're going to get a message to share. Will you share it during, you know, during the visit there to the church? And I'm like, oh, sure, you know, if I get something, my will. But she counted me about this over and over again. I'm like, what's going on here? Even walking into church the day of the, 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 the session, she's like, Mark, do you promise to share any messages we get? I'm like, yes, Tina. <clears throat> so I went into the, um, the healing room. They had a room where people were getting healings. And I sat on the bench to a piano or organ, shut my eyes, and quietly tried to silence my mind. I was more just trying to get mentally prepared for the talk, but not overthink it. I was just trying to meditate. But my mind went totally blank, which was pretty rare for me, almost kind of like the time in the closet that I mentioned where I saw the vision of Brandon. But mm-hmm. it was just like a blank slate. But while I was in that state, a name popped into my mind. It was Max. And then immediately after that, Maxine. And I thought, oh, maybe it's Maxine and not Max. I didn't hear these. I didn't see them. They just came to me kind of like an idea would come to you or maybe a memory would come to you, but they just came like that. I can't even describe it other than say it was just like an idea coming to you. It just popped in. So then it's time for my talk. I give the talk, and at the end I say, hey, Tina made me promise that I'd share anything I might get, so I have to ask if the names Max or Maxine mean anything to anyone here. And the pastor of the church said, "Um, well, (laughs) Uh, Max and Maxine were twins that were born to the church founder, Florence Becker, and they were delivered stillborn, and they grew up on the other side. He says, I think we know oh. who is here right now. Wow. And then he said, um, you know, this is a secret known only to a couple of old longtime church board members. Um, and, and then after the service, he took me upstairs to show me a painting. He said, and I think it was Florence Becker's work. He said, see this landscape painting and the long winding road, those two little figures at the end? That's Max and Maxine. So it's like, to me, in hindsight, I'm looking at the same, here's something so subtle that I could have easily dismissed it and just said it was my imagination. Mm-hmm. But yet it was so specific with two, two uncommon names that were both meaningful and accurate. It's like, geez. So that kind of tells me how it could work, at least for me, where you, you don't even want to say it. <laughs> but yet yeah. it is accurate, you know. So I think it, it's part of that is maybe – what made my dad so good at it, partially besides it being part of what he was born with, was he grew up at a time in rural Ohio with no radio, no TV, no telephone, obviously no smartphones. And so he had a lot of quiet yeah. time in nature. And so, you know, today we're just overrun with everything. And uh, everything's at a fevered pitch. It's, you know, it's all loud. It's all distracting. And to quiet our minds to a point where we can actually pick up on that subtle information is something that not many people think about doing or even being able to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure, and it's coming from all sides, uh, all kinds of communication. It does make it a challenge. But your dad, as you mentioned, grew up in a different time, a lot easier. Yeah. But still remarkable talent in your family. Now, you have a son and you have grandchildren. Does he have any of these abilities? He does. I think he's, you know, he's more on the psychic side, but he'll just, he'll have something come to him, just kind of like me, where it's a sporadic thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember like um, a couple that he knows that he's good friends with, they were going to have a baby girl. And um, I wish I could remember what the name was, but it was, they said, um, guess the name that we're going to give her. And he got it right away, and it was not a common name. It was something really wild. I can't, I can't remember her name, but it was pretty. So he, he, he did that, you know, and he's had other things where he felt like something was going to go a certain way, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I remember he had friends when he was younger that um, were working at a job, and they had they had a some sort of work contract at work that said, you know, um, that if they if they resigned, they would get a certain bonus for a period of time. And he he warned them, like, I think you're going to get fired. You better resign first. And so they did. And then the owner, it was a small business. The owner's like, somebody must have told you you're getting fired, but I'm not going to pay you that bonus. So (laughs) um, those kinds of things, you know, just here and there, sporadic kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if my granddaughter's with it too. It does. Oh, yeah. On my my dad's side, you know, my great-grandmother, I guess, read tea leaves. His mother, my grandmother on my father's side, she became a trance medium um, later in life. And then even on my mom's side, too, there, there was – my mom was a little psychic. I had two aunts that were very psychic. Um, and so, yeah, um, and people that research it, like Julie Beichel down there at Windbridge in Tucson, you know, she would tell you that it runs in family lines. So mm-hmm. I think there is a, there's a physiological component to it as well. Even though we're a soul and not a brain, you know, in this world we live in a body that has a brain that takes our consciousness and filters it down for what we need to do in this environment that we live in. And I think, you know, there are some people who have a brain that's configured more to receive this kind of information than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes, there's some kind of frequency that they can jump onto and stay there and get information from the other side. Now, with all the work that you've done with families, and I know you're talking about a lot of research that your friends are doing, I'm sure that you know one of the biggest questions parents ask themselves is, why? You know, it's not supposed to be this way. Um, they're not, your children aren't supposed to precede you in death. So what's the reason for this? And, of course, we've all heard some theories like, well, they were, they were done with their work on this planet and off they went. But have you come across anything else that would explain how people and why people die when they do? Well, there's a couple different angles you could take. One, you know, some people believe in pre-soul planning, like we existed before we got here. We actually had a roadmap that we helped had a hand in for the life we're living now so that we can learn the lessons that we need to learn to round our soul out or to assist other people uh, on their path or to serve a certain role. So, you know, if that's true, and I think there's something to it. I don't know that it's down to this precise every little detail kind of thing, but if there's a general roadmap for our life and we have a role, you know, maybe a lot of these kids, they pass – to help other people in a way. Like I look at Brandon, the type of person that he was, he was very loving, very caring toward people who um, were not friended by other people. So he's very sensitive and very thoughtful of other people. And he didn't really care that much about stuff, you know, or recognition. Mm -hmm. So he was kind of more of an old soul or advanced person. And it's ironic that so many of these parents tell me like after reading a the description of Brandon in my books are like, my son was just like that. My daughter was just like that. So, so many of them sound like, you know, they're more advanced. They're not really into the worldly stuff as much. They care about people at a deep level. They're, um, you know, they're not wrapped up into how they're viewed as much. So to me, those are characteristics of somebody who's um, more evolved. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I guess I think there may be something to lessons? that. Pardon? Do you feel, feel that they were here for our lessons? That may well be. I think, you know, in some ways I could see maybe he's my teacher in a way mm-hmm. now, you know. Um, and maybe I'm my dad's teacher in a way. You know, I don't know. My dad couldn't finish his work here. He did great work. He was a pioneer. Um, but now, you know, he couldn't tie up all the loose ends while he was here. So maybe I'm helping do that and keep his legacy going. But that's going. your job now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I think, too, because I'm a pretty grounded person who's educated mm-hmm. and I can communicate with just lay people, average everyday people or educated people, um, you know, that's, I have credibility. You know, people could trust and believe what I have to say um, just because of how I approach it. Where, you know, if my, somebody like my dad who did that, and my dad was a very intelligent man, too, but, you know, they maybe just wouldn't be as open, you know, uh, so I think this, that's part of my role and why maybe I spent those years in, in the business world 
and learning how to communicate and develop critical thinking and learning how to, mm-hmm. to write well and, and all those kinds of things came back to be useful later on in my life. Definitely. Definitely yeah. Sounds like. Yeah, it feels like you're in the perfect place in your life to do your your own work. And how do you feel now about this loss? Is it still, I mean, it's always a loss. It's always there. But what's the difference between then and now? How has it well transformed and moved yeah. through you? I think if I think back to those the very first instant I was notified in the first couple of weeks, you're just, you're in a very tough spot. You're in a state of shock. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a physical shock as well as mental shock. So you're, you're, mm-hmm. you, you want to sleep, then you can't sleep. You want a company, you don't want company. You, you're not hungry, then you want to eat something. You're just unsettled. Um, you want to be with the people who you love that you're closest to. Uh, they're crying, you're crying, you're, go, you're going through pieces of where you break down and where you don't. But what I will tell you is, you know, anyone in true grief is going to go through that. And if they haven't, they put it off and they eventually have to deal with it. But right. for us, that process was really quick compared to most people I've observed. I mean, like mm-hmm. within two weeks, we were starting to function decently. And within three months, I'd say, you know, we were pretty far along the healing path. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of folks, it, it takes a lot longer. And some of them, like you said earlier, never come out of it. They go in the corner, they're angry or they feel guilty or whatever. And they want back what they had before. Um, they have to come to accept that, you know, they, they can still have a relationship, but it's different. You know, their child still exists, but it's different. It's not the same. Mm -hmm. It's never going to be the same as it was. So you have to get to that point of acceptance. But it's like that for all of us because we're all only here for a certain amount of time and uh, we're souls, you know, we're going to go mm-hmm. on and, and that's a permanent home, I think, you know, maybe we reincarnate, but ultimately I think the other side is our true home. This is just like a stopping point for experience. And I think the reason mm-hmm. we come here is because it's difficult and because it poses challenges that don't exist on the other side. Um, that, that force us to learn to be compassionate, that force us to learn what pain feels like um, and mm-hmm. so that we can understand what others are going through so that we can become better people and, and uh, more refined souls than we were before. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a very tough but, point of view. But, yeah, and I think as time goes on, it may be easier for people to, to look at things differently, but I would imagine it's... It's a long process for most people. You and your wife are obviously devoted to each other and your family, and and you were able to take the bull by the horns and and charge through this, and you did a great job. But I know a lot of people um, need your help so that they can also have a similar successful experience Mm -hmm. of walking through this kind of profound grief that's so shocking that it's not supposed to be where your children die before you. That's not supposed to happen. So it's, yeah. I think, yeah, you know, the fact that we both had something beyond faith, we had knowing was a big difference. And the fact that we had so many mm-hmm. signs early on and these mm-hmm. connections with the mediums and so on just made a big difference, you know. Um, and I think with Health Parents Healed, like why that group is successful, I think in part, is because we offer that element where people can share their spiritual experiences. They want to share these signs that they have. They want to share the stuff they experience with other people. And if you allow them to do that, it's very healing. And even healing the stories from the others. Or um, there's a saying I've heard that I think is pretty cool. Like, say if a medium's in a gallery reading and shares a great message for somebody, a message for one is a message for all. So if you get that yeah. evidence, even if it's not for you directly because they can't make it to everybody, um, you could, sh- you know, enjoy that and appreciate that, that, that evidence that was just shared of those specific validations, knowing that your kid's okay too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh. Now, Mark, what about how does somebody get in touch with you and your group and do they have access then to this list of certified mediums so that they can get help from one of them? How does this whole thing work? 
So I'll make it really easy for you. I have my own personal website, and on that I have links to everything I've described to you. On my website, there's a link to the certified medium page. There's a link Mm -hmm. to helping parents heal. There's a link to uh, videos of my father's psychic demonstration on Steve Allen in 1971 um, and many other resources. They're all on my site. And my site is simply markirelandauthor.com. That's Mark with a K, Ireland like the country, and the word author, markirelandauthor.com. You can find all that. And my books are obviously there. And I have a media page with a few clips people might find interesting, like uh, when I was at the University of Arizona doing the, um, uh, the test there. Uh, that was actually filmed for Discovery Channel episode, and I have a clip of that people can see. That was with a medium named Lori Campbell, and she did a great job. I mean, she couldn't mm-hmm. see me, wasn't allowed to talk to me. I couldn't, I couldn't talk to her, rather. Um, there was a, a mediator, or I guess you'd say a proxy, who was asking right. questions of her, and she had to answer um, but, you know, she uh, just, since I brought it up, I'll go ahead and tell you a few things from that. You know, I had to sit behind her. She couldn't see me. And then she was asked the first question, I believe, and this is my memory, but she was asked a lot of questions and gave a lot of detail. But initially she says, the sitter um, is wanting to connect with Brandon. And Brandon is the, and then before they could even say it, the medium said son uh, ah, <laughs> of the sitter. Wow. So mm-hmm. then... The, then he went on and said, how did Brandon die? Can you give me his cause of death? And she says, it's in my chest. My just, chest feels so heavy, like there's a weight on it. And I feel like, like I want to throw up. Well, his mm-hmm. buddy Stu told me that just before he passed out and then passed away, he did vomit. And he had even made light of it saying, oh, I, I threw up in my hair, which made me happy to hear he was, he was joking about it. I don't think he knew how serious things were. Um, yeah. And she went on to say, um, is there anything that the uh, deceased person, Brandon, could share with the sitter to let them know it's him? She says, well, I think he's writing a book about him, uh, a book right now, and it's about him, the, about Brandon. And I was. That was when I was actually working on the book Soul Shift. And this ended up being one of the last chapters, the detailing what happened in that experiment. So, um Again, I kind of rambled on here, but I wanted to give you, since I brought it up, I thought I'd share a tidbit about that. But the yes, of it, no, we appreciate it. It doesn't that. have the whole yeah. reading, but it has some of the key points, and I think people might enjoy seeing that. And I have a, a short documentary on there, too. Well, and, and we're so appreciative of the fact that you have a list that people can see of people that are certified, because it is very difficult, and we get questions about this all the time from our audience of, who can they contact and have a reading no. and know that they're working with the right person who does have this true well, ability? So you're making it a lot easier for everybody. Yeah, that was yeah. my intent. Um, and, you know, you can never guarantee a good reading. Sometimes it doesn't work. No, right. It right. mm-hmm. could be for a variety of reasons. Um, it could be the medium is not feeling well. Or My dad always said that his psychic abilities kind of wane and what. They went up and down with the, like, like the tides of the sea, you know. Um, so sometimes the medium is at the top of their game and others are not. But by having a list of vetted people, the odds are greatly improved that you're going to have a good session. And most of the people on there that I know, they're high-integrity people. They would give you a refund if you don't get a good session. Don't you feel yeah, sometimes see, that person isn't supposed to know the additional information at that point yet? I'm I'm sorry, uh, PK, I couldn't hear you. I said, don't you feel that sometimes the person is not supposed to have that information yet, and that's why it, it's held back a bit. And then another time it yeah, can be I think, totally... I think, yeah. you know, sometimes pe- there's a difference between what people want and what they need in a reading. Right. So sometimes exactly. they're going to get what they need and not what they want. So, I don't know, I think mm-hmm. spirit holds back things maybe that because they have a, a broader view of things. Um, and, and, um, so they, they maybe know more about the whole picture as it's unfolding than we do and Mm -hmm. know what's best for us and things like that. You know, even along those lines, I can think of like my dad had this rule where if he was doing a reading for somebody and he knew, like, say, for example, they had cancer. Um, and if it was terminal, even though they didn't know it, he would not mention it to them. If he knew he was 
spirit told him that um, they would not recover and that, you know, he didn't want them to worry about something they couldn't control. However, if he knew that it was early and they could get treatment, he would mention that mm-hmm. to them that they needed to go get checked out by a doctor and he would, he would do that kind of thing. So I think it's kind of like that where he used his own discernment there, but sometimes I think that um, the medium gets what they're supposed to get to share with the person and maybe not mm-hmm. stuff that the sitter may want, but they're, they're not going to get, you know, like yeah. maybe somebody is, wants to know how their, child, how their loved one died. And maybe it was a violent, horrific death, and they don't really need to know that, you know, because the, the person's soul is now on the other side, and, and they're, they're doing fine. But to hear that would just create agony for that person. They might get hung mm-hmm. up on that and never be able to set that aside. Right. Very true. Gosh. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us tonight. What a wonderful evening we've had with you. And also, everybody, the website is markirelandauthor.com where you can get all of this information about Mark's books and the list and the groups and anything that you may need for yourself or that a friend of yours may need. Feel free to pass that on. So, again, the name of Mark's new book is The Persistence of the Soul. And this is available on Amazon, I'm sure, with Soul Shift, your other books. So you can go get and read those books right from Amazon. Have it the next day or maybe the same day if you're lucky. Yeah. (laughs) The website has links to all the books, too, to make it easy. Uh, In fact, Amazon now has the book in 11 different countries. So they're all over the globe wow. these days. I was, kind of, I was kind of surprised. But there's links to all of Amazon US and all the countries that have it, and Barnes & Noble and all those are there as well. Oh, That's terrific. Great. Well, that is wonderful. Well, Mark, God bless you and all the work you're doing. Please keep us posted. I know there's going to be another book, so um, please let us know so we can have you back on the show. But this has been so enlightening and so inspirational. Thank you. You're welcome, and you're right, because I'm actually working on another book that it's taken me a long time to complete, but it's going to be about what it was like for me to grow up with the father I had. Um, oh, so hopefully wonderful. in a year or we'll have that. Oh, that's well, great. Well, that's... I really enjoyed it. Well, we did it too, Mark. Thank you so much. Okay, everybody, we'll be back next week with another great show, and until then, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.